Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. With yesterday's announcement that California will keep its mask rules in place until the state's scheduled reopening on June 15th, public health officials are working with businesses to make sure they're in compliance. In Los Angeles County, a Trader Joe's in South Pasadena posted a sign last week that said it will allow shoppers without masks to come inside. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says they're trying to get the word out to businesses that that kind of thing is not okay. We'll be out and about uh, our entire week. Uh, We actually spoke over the weekend about making sure that we're communicating clearly uh, that the masking requirements remain in effect in LA County. With the CDC easing its mask mandates, but California health officials keeping their rules in place, Ferrer says she understands that this can all be confusing to the public. We appreciate uh, very much uh, that CDC was presenting information about the effectiveness of the vaccine. Uh, I think if you've listened to the director over the last couple of days, uh, she's been clear about the need for everyone to understand that local jurisdictions and states need to continue to have sensible masking requirements. Merchants and restaurants in California will still be allowed to require masks if they choose to do so, even after June 15th. The University of California says it's one step closer to requiring COVID-19 vaccinations of all students and employees who want to return to campus in the fall. From KPCC, Adolfo Guzman-Lopez reports. When UC announced the vaccine requirement last month, it hung the policy on full approval of one of the three COVID-19 vaccines. The head of UC's health system, Dr. Carrie Byington, told UC Regents last week Pfizer became the first to apply, and she expected the U.S. Food and Drug Administration review to take several weeks. We do expect full licensure to, to occur before the fall classes begin for the UC system. The much larger California State University system adopted the same requirement, so it's also on track to require vaccines for students and employees returning in the fall. Moderna or Johnson & Johnson vaccination would also meet the requirement, and exceptions for medical and religious reasons would be allowed. For the California Report, I'm Adolfo Guzman-Lopez. The head of the Cal State University system says while schools will offer more in-person classes in the fall, it still won't be like before the pandemic. Speaking to the Fresno Bee, Chancellor Joseph Castro says more virtual classes will be offered to meet students' needs and that virtual learning is here to stay. Castro says that each campus will have to find a balance when it comes to online courses. 
And staying on the pandemic, two out of three Californians believe businesses like concert venues and sports stadiums should be allowed to verify their customers' vaccination status before allowing them to come in. That's according to a UC Berkeley poll that's out today. KQED health correspondent April Domboski has more. Similar to attitudes about businesses and their patrons, 61% of poll respondents also say employers should be allowed to require certain workers to be vaccinated for COVID-19. But there is no consensus on the role government should play. About a third of registered voters say the government should take responsibility for a nationwide vaccine verification system. A third say that role should be more limited. And a quarter say the government should stay out of the matter altogether. Opinions fell largely along party lines, with Democrats and people who've been vaccinated more likely to favor more controls. The poll was conducted before the CDC and state altered their guidelines on when people must wear masks indoors. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Since the pandemic began, workers in the grocery delivery business have been trying to organize to get more protections and benefits. Workers at the venture capital-backed Bay Area company Imperfect Foods just voted to form a union. But as KQED's Sam Harnett reports, their efforts can't be a model for all on-demand grocery delivery workers. Imperfect Foods has always pitched itself as a company trying to make the world a better place. Want to know an easy way you can stock up on grocery items you won't find anywhere else while supporting a great cause? It's called Imperfect Foods, the grocery delivery service on a mission to build a better, kinder food system. Imperfect Foods started by letting customers purchase produce that's not quite perfect and would otherwise end up donated to food banks or even in the trash. The pitch didn't just attract customers, but also employees like Oakland resident Chris Jasinski. For me, one of the big draws of coming to work for this company in the first place was it's explicitly green mission. Also, he'd be an employee, not a contractor, like grocery delivery workers for Instacart or Amazon-owned Whole Foods. Yeah, it's like one of the good differentiators right out the gate of Imperfect Foods versus other companies. During the pandemic, business has been booming. The company just received another $95 million in venture capital, bringing its total investment up to $229 million. But as the company has grown, so has tensions with workers. They were unorganized. That's what uh, bugged me the most. Jesus Gomez is a delivery worker in Sacramento. Like Jasinski, Gomez voted for the union. He says one of the issues was the way the company started pushing drivers to work Saturdays. The company says Saturdays weren't mandatory, but several drivers I spoke with said it was made clear they were expected to work. We will sometimes have to go to East Bay, NSF and work, or Merced, or Reno. They'll send you over there and, you know, you get like 100 plus boxes. We were getting out late and, uh, we had to be ready to, for the next day. There are other issues, too. 
Gomez says they didn't get raises or any extra hazard pay. We didn't get not even a dollar more or anything. So that's what was getting me mad and a lot of people that like, you know, we see them growing, but we don't, you know, we don't we don't grow with them. And so about a month ago, employees voted to join the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. It was a tight election. 28 workers in favor, 23 against. The company challenged the results with the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, which is a common anti-union delay tactic. The company declined an interview with KQED, but in a blog post, the CEO wrote, we can and will do better at collaborating directly with our employees and resolving our issues. This is definitely not the first supposedly ethical company that has fought a union drive. It happens all the time. Ruth Milkman is a labor sociologist at the City University of New York. After a month, the NLRB threw out the company's challenge and certified the union. That makes Imperfect Foods an outlier among venture capital-backed grocery delivery companies, where most workers don't even have an option to form a union. That's because Proposition 22 makes it legal for app companies to classify their workers as contractors. Under current law, gig workers, if they're independent contractors or, or even if they're misclassified as independent contractors, they're not covered by the National Labor Relations Act at all. So they actually do not have legally the right to collective bargaining. The way Prop 22 was written, political analysts say it's nearly impossible to overturn. But change could come at the federal level through something called the PRO Act. Oh, it would, it would, it would totally wipe out Prop 22. Nelson Lichtenstein is a professor of labor history at UC Santa Barbara. He says the PRO Act would make it harder for employers to fight union drives. It would also allow contractors to unionize. But because of their razor-thin margin in the Senate, Democrats would need every single senator to support the legislation. Right now, not everyone is on board. But even if the PRO Act doesn't pass, Lichtenstein says what just happened at Imperfect Foods could be helpful for app workers in California who want to form a union. If a group of workers who do the same work, who are defined as employees, unionize, that will have a large impact on, on both the, the sort of the impulse to un- for the other workers to, to, to unionize and also in a legal and political uh, realm as well. Biden's Department of Labor has already openly rebuked Proposition 22. And now with Imperfect Foods, it has an example of workers at a venture-backed grocery delivery company who are not only employees, but also have a union. For the California Report, I'm Sam Harnett. Federal prosecutors say California Department of Motor Vehicles employees in the Los Angeles area have accepted tens of thousands of dollars in bribes in exchange for allowing people to get a driver's license by giving them fraudulent passing scores on driving exams. So far, five DMV employees are believed to have participated in the scheme in two different test locations. One motor vehicles worker who has already pled guilty says he and other employees accepted cash bribes several times a week, often from intermediaries acting on behalf of people seeking licenses. The DMV says its workers who are found to have broken the law will be disciplined. In environmental news, San Francisco is suing the state of California because regulators would like the region to forfeit some of its water supply. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains. The state water board would like to see more water flow down the Tuolumne River and not stored in reservoirs. The goal is to preserve the river and provide salmon spawning habitat, but that would equal less water for the Bay Area. Steve Ritchie is the assistant general manager at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. We could see rationing levels of up to 70 percent across our entire system. Exactly how that would play out would be subject of agreement with all of our wholesale customers, but it would be a lot. 
The suit could take years to pan out, but Ritchie says it could deplete San Francisco's water supply during drought times. Some river advocates hope a decision balances in favor of more water flowing down the Tuolumne River, where 85 percent of San Francisco's water supply comes from. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. Lake Tahoe, it looks so clean and pristine, but beneath its surface, there's a lot of garbage. So scuba divers have completed the first dive of what will be a massive six-month effort to rid Lake Tahoe of trash. Colin West is with Clean Up the Lake, the nonprofit group spearheading the project. He says their initial dive Friday focused on an area along the California-Nevada border. We ended up pulling out close to a couple hundred pounds of trash. I mean, we had tires and some cinder blocks. We had different beer bottles and cans and jewelry and sunglasses and golf balls and just trash galore. The team of divers will continue looking for trash along the lake's entire 72 miles of shoreline. They plan to dive three days a week to a depth of 25 feet. The cleanup effort will continue through November and could be the largest in Lake Tahoe's history. Money for the $250,000 project is coming from grants. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, May 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. The law firm Perkins Cooey a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.